it's hard to say what each individual is designed by Christ to do. And I think one of our challenges is try to seek out what God wants us to do and what he wants us to be in this life. And sometimes maybe that's a landscape maintenance guy. Sometimes it's running a company. Sometimes it's maybe being a great grandfather or a husband or a friend. It's all these different things based on uh, our belief in Jesus and, and how he treated others and how he treats us. Hi, my name's Ken Lancaster and this is my story. I spent uh, several years in Denver as a builder and at one point I ran a, a large construction company uh, building over a thousand homes at a time in 46 subdivisions. My wife and I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona about three years ago. I started a company, a consulting company in, in the uh, construction industry. However, uh, that industry is taken a lot of hits in the recent past. As a result, I applied for jobs all over the place, and never was accepted, never even had an interview. And at one point I told my wife I was willing to take anything that came along, and I saw on the church website an advertisement for um, help for a maintenance, a landscape maintenance crew. So I interviewed with Bob, the owner of the crew, and uh, told him, that I had a past as a, in construction and he hired me. I went to work last summer and worked from roughly April through the end of August of last year as a landscape maintenance guy at 10 bucks an hour, which is uh, pretty much a change in life when you're used to being a executive in a building company. A lot of interesting things happened during my time uh, in the landscape maintenance business. One thing that I noticed for sure is that People looked through you, they never saw you. In one incident, we were uh, doing a very high-priced home. We were told we couldn't use the bathroom that was actually located outside by the pool, that uh, we had to go out in the weeds if we needed to go to the bathroom. It was incredible what you learn when you're on the other side of the labor force and you're doing the menial tasks that we take for granted many times in our lives. And, people that are working out there very hard, 110 degrees some days. I remember the hottest day was 117. And you realized what a blessing it was to recognize and appreciate the small things in life, the little things, the kind word from a person, or maybe uh, the client that came out with a cool bottle of water for you, or that said hi to you or asked you how you were doing. It would just uh, lighten your load that day. Sometimes a glass of water just isn't a glass of water. It's I really see you as a person. And one of the things that I realized is the best thing I can do is be a, a genuine person to everyone, whether it's a waitress, a busboy, a landscape maintenance person. It, it's giving um, an amount of grace to people and, and valuing those people as human beings as who they are and not because of their station in life. I'm out there feeling sorry for myself because I'm picking up trash or trimming trees. And, and then you think uh, what Jesus went through for us. Here he is, the creator of the world, the universe, and he lowered himself to become one of us and then take this incredible abuse and the beating and, and uh, the crucifixion and it's just hard to believe. I mean, it's, it's really nothing to work for a summer 
in the heat in Phoenix as a landscape guy when you look at what he did. I know that we're supposed to honor each other, I serve each other, uh, be kind to each other. Those are things that uh, you, you don't have to question. You don't have to wonder, gee, I wonder if God wants me to do this or not. It's a given. You, you, we're supposed to do those things, and that's one of the things that Jesus taught us was to be humble, to be grateful, to be servants of other people, be kind to other people. That's a really big lesson. I just love Ken's story. We're uh, continuing on in a series here that we're capping off today on generosity, just learning as Christians to be generous with all of who we are with those around us. And when Ken told me his story last spring, he's in a Bible study I lead, I, I said, would you mind sharing that with the rest of us? Because I think that's a powerful story of what God did in him last year, just kind of cementing and forming his heart once again on this idea of, of just being outreach focused and sensitive to people around us, uh, showing them the love of Jesus in, in small ways, as you'll see, just with a cup of cold water and kindness, and as we've talked about in this series, even in large ways. So hopefully that encourages you, and it's a good segue into what we're talking about today. Now, uh, Kevin and Leah, are we, uh, are we live over in the uh, 1110 service? Do you know? Yes or no? Yes, we are. Good. Okay. So last few weeks, we've uh, been changing our technology here, making some upgrades, and we've not been live uh, in our other venues. As many of you know, on the 9 o'clock hour and the 11 o'clock hour, we have a whole other congregation that meets on the other side of campus, a few hundred people in their own service, and then they simulcast live in for uh, the teaching time. And so they have not been live over the last couple of months, but now they are. So 1110, welcome. And the guys, give it up for the 1110 for being here. Yeah. That's really good. So it's good to have them back with us. So, hey, let's pray, and then uh, we're going to cap off this series hopefully in a really cool way. Father, thank you for the call of your word, where we know, Lord, as Christians, that uh, 2,000 years ago uh, when Jesus came, there was a, a unique revelation that you gave us that would eventually become the New Testament called your word that, Lord, now combined with the Old Testament, we rally around because it gives us solid perfect information about who you are. So as we open your book, Father, right now, I pray that, God, you would continue to encourage us and challenge us when it comes to this whole idea of generosity and what our lives can be as we follow you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I was thinking this week as we're capping off this series on generosity, what a cool word the word generous really is. And what I mean by that is when you think about it, the word generous always puts a smile on somebody's face because it's a word that we always use in positive, uplifting contexts. We never use the word in negative contexts. So think about how you use the word generous or how you receive the word generous in our culture today. If somebody tells you that they've been generous in their will to you, you're going to smile. And then you're going to wrestle for the rest of your life on wanting them dead. But still, you're going to initially smile that they've included you in their will. If somebody says, let's try this new restaurant, they have generous portions, you're going to tend to want to go there. If an airline attendant says that we've upgraded you to first class where they have generous seat sizes, that's going to make your day. If you hear that somebody's a generous patron of the arts or any other type of philanthropic activity, you're going to tend to think highly of them. 
I, I tried to think this week of any negative ways that we use the word generous. I couldn't think of anything. I never hear somebody say, boy, is that person generous with his hate. We don't even use the word like that. But we never say of somebody, boy, is that person generously manipulative. We, we don't ever put those words together. Even the dictionary has nothing but positive to say about the word generous. Look up here on the screen. It defines generous as noble, liberal in giving, abundant in portion. I mean, no matter how you slice it, it's a phenomenal word. And I think one of the things that makes generous such a powerful word is that by its very nature, it is an action word. It's an action word. And to be sure, think about this with me. You can feel benevolent. You can feel tenderhearted. You can feel compassionate. But until you act on any of these feelings, nobody calls you generous. Isn't that true? I mean, generous by its very nature means that you did something. Not that you just felt it as we're going to see a little bit later, not that you just thought it, but generous and generosity is reserved for behaviors, for those of us who do something that is kind and benevolent to those around us. So we've been exploring this idea of generosity because it's core to us as followers of Jesus over the last few weeks here at our church. We took a look at Jesus' famous statement that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we noted that as we act on generosity, there's a blessing. A blessing for the one who gives as well as the one who receives. And then last week, we looked at at Jesus' very famous statement where he said, give me a click here, guys, that where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. And again, we looked at the fact that when we act upon uh, this idea of giving to others, our heart tends to follow. And that where we give, where we are generous, is actually going to shape and form our heart. And as we wrap up this little mini-series here today, I want to take a look at what I'm going to call generosity lived out. Simply put, what does it look like when an individual finally gets generous and acts upon it? What does a life lived generously look like? And there's no greater example of generosity in all of the Bible than a guy by the name of Barnabas. Some of you have heard of him, Barnabas. He's found in the New Testament. So if you brought a Bible with you today, I want you to open up to the book of Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And open up to chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. We're going to read it here in just a second. If you didn't bring a Bible, obviously in a second here we'll put the Scripture on the screen. Uh, But as you're turning there, uh, notice with me the context of Acts chapter 4. Very interesting. The New Testament church is very young at this point. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they had about 3,000 believers. And now two chapters later, a few months later, they're up to about 5,000 believers. So picture a church the size of Scottsdale Bible Church in all of Jerusalem. That's the church at that time. And God is on the move. Through sound teaching and sound doctrine, combined with miraculous moves of the Holy Spirit, the church is being bold and clear in its witness. And people are coming to Christ. 
and culture is starting to take notice. But it's tough times for the church because they're not being received well by, say, the Jewish religion, the Roman uh, culture, the Greek culture. There's a lot of questions and confusion, and the church is about to be persecuted. And at the end of chapter 4 here in Acts, Luke, the author, gives a very brief summary as to why the church is prevailing so powerfully in these not-so-ideal circumstances. And so let's read his explanation beginning in Acts chapter 4 at verse 32. Look up here on the screen. He says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is a very, very interesting descriptive text here. And over the years, some have actually pointed to this text and tried to make a case for Christian socialism or Christian communism. They basically argue, see, they pooled all their money together, they lived in a commune, and that's how Christians could live. The only problem with that interpretation is that this is a very short-lived kind of activity that we see here in the book of Acts. And what I mean by that is that, yes, because of the expediency of circumstances, they did pool their assets together here and doled them out as each had need. As you read on in the book of Acts, however, and through the epistles, you realize that as the church grew to other areas and then had multiple churches and multiple areas and all of that, that they still had a lot of private ownership. Uh, they talk about private houses, and we assume they had private chariots and private togas and things like that. In, in other words, we see evidence of a lot of private ownership still in the church, so we know this communal thing didn't last. However, what did last, and this is the whole point of the passage, is generosity. So isn't it interesting that in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, it says later on, as again, private ownership was still there, that each still gave freely and generously, and I quote, everyone according to his ability. And that's the whole point of this passage here. I think what Luke is trying to communicate to you and me here is that link, give me another click here, between the great grace that was upon them all there in verse 33 and the fact that that great grace led to a lot of generosity. The, the people linked together the grace that God had poured out on them and their responsibility then to give back graciously all of who they are to God through serving and giving to others, and God was in that mix. And so don't miss, these people had received great grace. They knew that God had saved them through Jesus Christ, his death on a cross for their sins and his resurrection from the dead. He had now poured his spirit out upon them in such a way that was making a huge amount of noise in Jerusalem. He was working and moving in their midst through sound teaching and moves of the Spirit. They were enjoying fellowship and authenticity relationally with each other. Transformation was taking place. 
I mean, all the things that you and I talk about that church can and should be, they were experiencing back in that culture 2,000 years ago. And in response to this great grace that was upon them all, please simply notice the result was a heart of generosity. They wanted to give back to God, even to the point of selling possessions and property in order to resource this great grace that they wanted to see keep going and growing. And this is where Barnabas comes in. Uh, this guy who's an absolutely unknown disciple up to this point, and yet he literally becomes a poster child for what generosity can and should look like in our lives. And so let's quickly review here in a uh, yeah, who Barnabas is. He was a Cypriot Jew, meaning he was a Jew from the island of Cyprus, not inside Israel. He was a Levite, uh, part of the priestly order of the, the Jewish religion, meaning that he was part of the Old Testament whole form of leadership, a very religious man. And now he's a convinced follower of Jesus Christ on fire and ready to make a dent for the kingdom of God there in Jerusalem and as we'll see in all of Asia Minor. And how does he go about making a dent? This is all you need to see through being generous. Through responding to this great grace that God has given him, he got God-obsessed and other-focused, added generosity to the mix, and it was catalytic in the hands of God. So in our time remaining, two things I want you to notice. Just two things, two ways that Barnabas utilized generosity that I think act as a neon sign to you and I today. And so I'm going to state them for you here in the present tense plural imperative so that we can apply it to our lives here today. But we're bouncing off of Barnabas's example. And here's the first thing he teaches us, and that is that we must be generous with our gifts and talents. We must be generous with our gifts and talents, any of us who have been infected by God's grace. You know, I've said here for the last five years, ever since I've, I've come to be your pastor, that uh, every believer in Jesus Christ, every believer who, who is still alive here today, whether you're close to God or not, whether you're struggling or not struggling, if you're a believer in Christ, God has given you at least one spiritual gift that he wants you to use to serve him. And when you read about the spiritual gifts in the New Testament, you read about things like encouragement, mercy, help, serving, teaching, creative arts, prayer, faith, so many different gifts that God's Spirit has given us at the time of our conversion. And then when you add to the fact that you were also born with some natural talents, the Bible tells us that you've been made in the image of God. And so even when you were born, even before you came to Christ, there were some wonderful traits that God has given you. Some of you are more extroverted. Some of you are really good with business sense. Some of you are athletic. I mean, all different kinds of natural talents God has given us. Then what we learn from Barnabas is that we're now to take those gifts that we got from birth and the gifts that we got at salvation and now use them to serve God and bless others. That part of generosity and the equation of generosity is to now use our gifts in service to God to build his kingdom here on earth. And so very quickly, isn't it interesting that Barnabas models for us his two gifts. And his two gifts were encouragement and teaching. 
So look at verse 36 again. It says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Fascinating text. Back then, they had a practice. I wish we did this today. We really don't. We got nicknames today, but this is very different than a nickname. Back then, if somebody had a radical change in their life, if somebody had a, a new character based upon a spiritual revival in their hearts, they would actually change their name. They'd call them by a different name that usually connoted something that happened in their life. So in the Old Testament, when Abram started to follow God, they called him Abraham. And then in the New Testament, when Cephas became a follower of Jesus, they called him Peter. But when Saul became a Christian, they called him Paul. You get the idea. And so Joseph here is now a Christian, and because of the gift that God had given him, encouragement, they called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So you got to believe that this guy was an incredible encourager in his life. And fascinations of fascinations, that's exactly what we see him doing for the rest of the book of Acts. So look at Acts 11, verse 23. He's in Antioch now, where they've just built a new church. And it says, when he, Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God, don't miss that, church, he saw the grace of God, and then flowed out of that, it says he was glad, and he exhorted them, encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And then he moves on to Lystra and Iconium. And in Acts 14, verse 22, it says, Paul and Barnabas were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And so simply note that it says Barnabas had the gift of encouragement, and then we see him using that gift 24-7, not just on Sunday, not just in Bible study, not just when he felt spiritual, but all the time in his life to build the kingdom in the hearts of people around him. And then notice that he had the gift of teaching. It says in Acts 20, or 11, verse 26, when he, Barnabas, had found him Paul, he brought him to Antioch, and for the whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And then in Acts 15, they're back in Antioch again, and it says Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. So he had generosity, he was a good teacher, and then we see him taking bold risks to use those gifts to propel the kingdom forward. Remember in Acts 9, when the Jerusalem leaders didn't really believe that Paul the Apostle was the real deal? This guy was persecuting Christians, and he was kind of a, a shyster in the Jewish realm, and now he's saying he's a Christian? What did Barnabas do? He stepped up to the plate, and he used his gifts, and he swung, and he said, let me encourage you. Let me teach you about who this guy Paul really is. You can trust him. And that's fascinating. He went to bat for Paul there in Acts chapter 15. Barnabas puts his reputation on the line again in a very generous way when Paul says about John Mark, I don't want the guy. He's a wimp. He's no good. He can't make it on the missionary trail. And what does, uh, what does Barnabas do? He says, I think John Mark's the real deal. Like I believed you were the real deal, Paul. I think that John Mark can really cut it on the missionary trail. So let's take him. Let's encourage and let's teach. And as you guys know, Paul said no. And so Paul went off with Silas, and then Barnabas went off with John Mark. And I love it because at the end of the book of Timothy, toward the end of his life, Paul says, oh, by the way, bring John Mark to me because he's useful to me. 
which is the best you're going to get out of Paul the Apostle saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And the reality is, is that once again, Barnabas stood in the gap. Are you starting to see, folks? Uh, truly, one of the first things that Barnabas shows us about responding to God's great grace with generosity is that we do so by serving others, serving them with the gifts and talents, no matter what the cost to our time, no matter what the inconvenience to our lives. And all I know is that when you and I get generosity like that, sparks begin to fly, and the kingdom moves on in the lives of those around us. There's a great ad campaign done about a half decade ago by the Ad Council here in America in which they were trying to get Americans to be a bit more generous. And the commercials that they showed were only a few seconds long, maybe 20, 30 seconds long, but they had a real bite to them. And the ad campaign was called Don't Almost Give. And I think it was a brilliant campaign that, quite frankly, holds a lot of biblical truth to it. And so look up here on the screen. It's a little bit grainy because we had to rip these off the internet, but, but you'll get it. Look up here on the screen at this first one. This is Jack Thomas. Today, someone almost brought Jack something to eat. Someone almost drove him to a shelter. And someone else almost brought him a warm blanket. And Jack Thomas? Well, he almost made it through the night. And then look at this next one here. I, I like this next one. It's probably a little bit closer to home for our church. Uh, show the next one. This is Sarah Watkins. A lot of people almost helped her. One almost cooked for her. Another almost drove her to the doctor. Still another almost stopped by to say hello. They almost helped. They almost gave of themselves. But almost giving is the same as not giving at all. You know what I like about this campaign that they did is that I think it taps into something about you and I that when we're honest with ourselves, we admit that there are plenty of times where we almost give. I get emails every once in a while from people who say, you know, I, I've been meaning to email you for a long time about this issue, but I've been so busy or distracted and now I'm going to email you about it. And I smile when I get there because I, I get those because I think, you know, it might have been a little bit more timely six months ago when you thought it, but then I think I do the same thing. And you do the same thing. How many times have we been driving down the road and we have a nice thought that we should do something for somebody? Or, or, or we're nudged in a certain area in our emotions to do something for somebody, and we just don't quite act on it. We almost give. And the point of those commercials is, is that when you almost give, then you're almost going to help somebody. You're almost going to make a dent. But we're all going to hold something in common. We're, we're not going to do it. Because almost giving is like the same as not giving. I, I think Barnabas nudges you and I from the realm of almost giving to the realm of giving. He, he challenges our lives to discover what gifts and passions God has given us and then says, roll up your sleeves and act upon it. Do something, not just in church, but Monday through Saturday that will make a dent in the lives of those around them, around you, that will let them know that God exists and that he loves you and that he saved you in Jesus Christ. 
But we all have gifts to bring to the table, and our call is to be generous in our use of them. You know, one of the reasons that this is so important, I've been telling you this throughout this whole series, is that as we move into the fall and winter here at Scottsdale Bible Church, we're going to be wrapping up our 50th year. We've been celebrating that all year long, and we've been kind of bringing back senior pastors and doing a journey of worship and 50 hours of prayer, and we're going to wrap up on October 28th with a big shebang here on our campus. And one of the things that the elders have been asking themselves all year long, and this is the key question, is what's the future of Scottsdale Bible Church? And even more specifically, what do we need to do and be as a church if we're going to expand our impact moving forward? And one of the things we obviously realize is that we need to continue to do what we've been doing. We need to be faithful to the Word of God, continue to connect people in fellowship. We need to serve like crazy. We need to teach His Word. We need to be about missions. All the things that we do, we need to keep on doing. But we've also realized that if we're ever going to expand our impact, if we're going to continue to be faithful to God with the great grace that he has shown us, then we can't simply rest and rely on the fact that we're a healthy, stable, doctrinally pure and solid church, but we now need to commit to expanding our impact, reaching more people with the gospel, discipling more people into the kingdom. And the only thing that's going to help us expand is to be more generous with who we are as followers of Jesus. We need to be more generous with this campus. So we're going to look to do a complete redesign of our campus starting next year. We're going to talk more about that this next fall. We need to increase our capacity here on campus for more people. We need to provide a better teen space, a better children's space, a better senior space, more fellowship space. There's lots of things that we need to do as we've been looking at our campus that will require some generosity, but make no mistake, that generosity will translate into greater kingdom impact. We're going to talk about that this next fall. We're going to talk about multi-sites. We're taking a stab at our first multi-site in September. We already got hundreds of people signed up. And you remember the rationale of the multi-site, don't you? If they won't come to church, we'll bring church to them. That's the idea. And so for people that drive 15 to 30 minutes to come to Scottsdale Bible Church, we're saying let's start a church out there, but it's still going to be Scottsdale Bible Church. Same teaching, same ministries, but we'll have some live staff and live people on that campus. And so we're going to do talk about doing more multi-sites as we move along as a church. We're going to talk about church planting. We're going to talk about international missions. We've got lots of things planned for the future of our church. But listen, folks. To the degree that we are committed to God and his church, and to the degree that we are willing to be generous with what God has blessed us with, is to the degree that we will have impact. That's exactly what Acts chapter 4 is about. God had poured great grace upon them, and they said, if we're going to respond to great grace with generosity, then we're going to see fruit. But if we don't, well, then we're just going to play church. And so the question for you and I is how generous are we going to be with what God has blessed us with? To what degree are we going to lay down our lives before the cross of Christ and then take up the gifts and passions he's given us and use them? And as we wrap this thing up, just so you know, it's not going to take just generosity with our gifts and talents to make all this happen, though it is going to take that. But it's also going to take a second kind of generosity for all of this to happen. And it's the second and final thing that Barnabas shows us. 
And that is that it's going to take us being generous with our tangible resources. In other words, Barnabas teaches us that we must be generous with our tangible resources. So isn't it fascinating that at the end of verse 37, or at the end of this passage here in verse 37, it says, And Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so again, the point here is not communal living. The point is, is this Barnabas guy was generous, not just with encouragement and teaching, but even with the resources that God had blessed, had blessed him with. He was not afraid to both let go of and invest his earthly treasures in order to see kingdom impact. And folks, that's what generosity has always been about. Those who aren't afraid to give outlandishly to God in and through his church and other places in order to see the kingdom built and move on in the culture around them. I like how Winston Churchill said it when he was alive. Look up here on the screen. This is great. He said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And he's right. You make a living just by going to work and doing your thing. But you won't find life until you learn to give and see God utilize your giving. I like how Jim Wallace, president of Sojourners Ministry today, says it. This is great, too. He says, the Bible doesn't mind prosperity. It just insists that it be shared. Man, is that out of Scott? If that's ever out of Scottsdale, Scottsdale quote, I don't know what is. The fact that, yes, we've been blessed as a town, and that's a wonderful thing. Don't let anybody ever, ever make you feel guilty for the blessings that you have because they're from God, and God is good and gracious. It's just that he wants us to respond to his grace and blessings by liberally sharing with those around us. And so the question I think you and I need to wrestle with, and with this will be done, is the question of are we going to be generous with all of who we are, time, talents, and treasures, when it comes to the future of our church and what God is doing in and through our church. I mean, generosity is a powerful thing. Generosity used in the hands of God is what he has used over the years to change lives. Uh, with this story, we'll be done. I was reminded recently in my uh, research just how, how generosity can take various forms in the culture that you and I live in. What I, what I mean by that is that you know, generosity is something the world is into, but when you compare the way that our world tends to describe generosity, and then you look at how the Bible and Christians are called to be generous, they really are two different things. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to step on the things of the world, but it's, it's worth comparing and contrasting this. How many of you ever seen the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Raise your hand if you've ever seen that show, 1110. I told the 8 o'clock service, I said like only 20% of them have ever seen it. I said, trust me, as we go through the day, they'll know what we're talking about. If you've never seen the show, the show uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition is, is about people who need a complete rehab of their house. They've hit very, very difficult times. And so a crew comes in and they just bless them with a totally restored house. And Kim and I and the kids have watched this show. It's been on for 10 years now. It started in December of 2003. We've watched probably almost every episode. It's a great show that tugs at your heartstrings, and it, and it is powerful to see what people can do. Now, when you look at the statistics behind Extreme Makeover Home Edition, they have rehabbed 175 homes in almost a decade. Not bad. 
They've utilized about 70,000 volunteers. And though it's going to sound like I'm judging this, I'm not. The sponsors have made a boatload of money on this show, right? Because it's not a nonprofit for crying out loud. It's, it's a show on TV in which somebody's making a lot of money for it. But still, they're helping a lot of people. 175 homes in about 10 years. And this is one of the greatest examples of generosity that we trumpet in our culture today. Now I want you to compare and contrast that to another organization, a Christian organization called Habitat for Humanity. It was founded in 1976 by a guy named Millard Fuller. Fuller at that time had just reached the age of 30 and he was a millionaire. He had made all the money he wanted to in life. And yet he felt very convicted by God that he needed to do something generous with the rest of his life. And so his passion became to envision a world where everybody had a decent place to live. And many of you are familiar with Habitat for Humanity. They have constructed, now get this, over 500,000 homes in the last 35 years. In the last 35 years, they have built over a half a million homes for needy people. And though they don't give them away, they sell it to these needy people at cost with no interest. And you make payments. So a very biblical principle. When asked how many volunteers they've utilized to build Habitat homes, there's no way they can count because the answer is in the millions. And it's an example of profound generosity of not just Millard Fuller, but a lot of people. Currently, right now, Habitat for Humanity is building 12 houses a day under the radar. So you and I are watching Extreme Makeover Home Edition and shedding a tear and thinking, isn't that wonderful? And Habitat, with no advertising at all, is making 12 houses a day. I love how Millard Fuller said it before he died. He was, gave a speech in Washington, D.C., and he said, our choice is between grace and disgrace and we choose grace. That's what's driven this Christian organization. And believe it or not, my point in sharing this story with you is to have you ask yourself this simple, analogous question. If your life was a TV show, or if your life was a nonprofit organization, which would people say about you? Are you Extreme Makeover Home Edition, or are you Habitat for Humanity? Because, you see, both are doing good things. But you and I would label one of them outlandish generosity, and we would label the other one a nice thing. Not a bad thing, a very nice thing. But one of them epitomizes an incredible approach to generosity that we see in the Bible, and the other one goes, that's a good thing. Which are you? Maybe even more importantly, which do you want to be? As God positions and postures you as a follower of his son Jesus Christ when you think of your gifts and your talents and your treasures what is it for you I know this as our church moves into uncharted territory this next year and believe me we're gonna we're gonna move into uncharted territories to expand our impact it's all gonna rise and fall on the commitment the buy-in of God's people the body of Christ when it comes to do we want to see God do amazing things in the lives of people or not? And our buy-in is going to be determined by our generosity to the degree that all of us band together as the body of Christ and give freely of our time, our talents, and our treasures. It's going to take all of us or it's going to take none of us. Let's pray. Father, 
thank you for your word and how your word constantly challenges us in every area of our life to step up to the plate and swing and to be a part of your kingdom. And so, Lord, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our parenting, whether it's our work life, whether it's church, whether it even has to do with our finances, God, your word has something to say on it. We thank you for that because we know you care about every aspect of our life. And, Lord, it's my simple prayer that as we get challenged here in this series to start living radically generous lives, that, God, you'd help each of us figure out for us what that means. Lord, we've stayed away from trying to provide rules and regulations in a series like this, as some organizations or Christians tend to do. And, Lord, what we want to do is just raise the bar on generosity and allow your spirit to work. So that, Lord, an Acts 4 type of situation might start to happen here where generosity flows as people catch a vision for what you can do in and through us, the local church. And so, God, as we each discern that for our own lives, speak to us. And, Lord, may we never forget that generosity doesn't become generosity until it is lived out. So help us to act. God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your grace, your great grace that has changed us we pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we all say together, amen. amen. God bless you. We'll see you guys soon.